Good morning. If you were with us last week, you know that we began a new series that we're going to be taking a look at over the next few weeks in preparation for the Christmas holiday. Uh, We're calling it Christmas Through the Eyes. Uh, And the idea is for us to take a fresh look at Christmas this year from the perspective of different people and different people groups. Uh, Last week, we took a look at Christmas through the eyes of a prophet. Um, Specifically, we looked at Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah, the prophet. And uh, by doing so, we noted how Christmas was something that Isaiah, along with many other prophets, uh, that they all were greatly looking forward to to this Christmas celebration. As Isaiah prophesied, uh, we learned how Christmas was a time to look forward to the glory and honor of the Lord. It was to be a time of great light and great joy and great deliverance. Christmas, from Isaiah's perspective, was going to be a time of great peace, okay? a time where God would give the greatest gift possible through His Son, Jesus Christ. And Isaiah believed that Christmas would be a time where the Messiah would finally come and establish his rule and reign upon this earth, a time where the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be worshipped for all he is as wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, and prince of peace. Well, this morning we continue our series by choosing a different group of people to look at Christmas through their eyes through their perspective and i hope to glean what we can from these different perspectives in hopes that it may stir in us a renewed sense of awe and wonder and excitement as we cover the details surrounding our savior's birth this morning we're going to look at christmas through the eyes of the shepherds okay and the title of our study this morning is going to be the long awaited king okay the long Awaited King. Our text this morning is going to be Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, why don't you go ahead and make your way to chapter 2 of the Gospel of Luke. Okay, and then uh, as is our custom, once you've found your place, I'm going to ask you to rise to your feet in honor of God and His Word. I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible. If you're reading from a different version, I do want to encourage you to do your best to follow along. Our text picks up with Luke describing the scene there out in the fields that night that Christ was born. Take a look at verse 8. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was. 
when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. Stop right there. That's the word of the Lord for us this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. And we thank you for this opportunity to look at Christmas through the eyes of the shepherds, Lord. As we'll see, Lord, just it, it baffles me that you would choose shepherds, Lord, to make this announcement to. Um, but Lord, we trust that there's a reason, there's a purpose, there's something that you want to tell us and show us through this. And so, Lord, I pray, give us ears to hear what your spirit desires to say to us, your church. And Lord, I pray that you would give to each and every one of us a genuine anticipation and expectation that you will speak this morning. Lord, lead and guide us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Last week, again, we looked at Christmas through the eyes of a prophet, and I told you how there were actually hundreds of prophecies dealing with the coming of Jesus Christ that had been foretold really ever since the beginning uh, of time. The promise of Jesus' coming was first given in the book of Genesis, there in chapter 3 with what Bible scholars like to call the Proto-Evangelum. Okay? It's a, a fancy compound word that refers to the first good news. Okay? The first mention of the good news uh, of a Savior to come and overthrow Satan. It's actually mentioned in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. There God is speaking to the serpent and he promises the serpent, the devil of old, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You see, God promised that from the seed of the woman would come one who would crush the head of the enemy and in doing so his own heel would be bruised. Now we know that Jesus Christ's heels were driven into the cross of Calvary, but we also understand and know that there on the cross of Calvary, He dealt a death blow to the head of the enemy that He would never recover from. You know, that promise was given some 4,000 years prior to Jesus' coming. If you kind of trace all the lineages and all the family trees and the years you add them up, and he goes back to about 4,000 years B.C. Abraham, you guys know uh, Father Abraham, right? He was given a promise of the good news as well, that through him all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. And actually Galatians teaches us that the fulfillment of this promise is seen in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul writes, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So Abraham's promise 
It was given to him about 2,000 years before Jesus Christ's coming. The same promise that was given to Abraham was repeated to Isaac, his son. And then again, it was repeated to Isaac's son, Jacob. About a thousand years before Christ ever came, a promise was given to David, the king of Israel, regarding how his offspring would rule over an eternal kingdom. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 and 13 reads, When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. 700 years before Jesus Christ ever came, Isaiah prophesied of his coming. We looked at some of those prophecies in Isaiah chapter 9 last week. But what about this one from chapter 7? Isaiah foretold of how the Lord himself would give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which we all know translates to God with us. About a hundred years after Isaiah, Daniel is told about the coming king and his eternal kingdom. Daniel states how he was watching in the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. About another hundred years later, God prophesied through Malachi about the forerunner that would precede the coming king. Malachi writes, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. You know, it is somewhat a standard practice that the closer and closer you get to a place or a time or an event, the more signs you have, the more frequent the announcements, the demands for RSVPs and whatnot, they become more important, right? Think about it this way. If you've ever driven uh, a long distance before, maybe back in the States, maybe driving from one side of the nation to the other, doing those cross-country trips, right? At the very beginning, you may see something that says that your destination is several hundred miles away, maybe even a thousand plus miles away. But the closer and closer you get, the more and more signs you see, the frequency of the signs, they increase. The timing of your arrival becomes closer and closer. Before you know it, your destination is just a few miles away, and then it's the next few exits, and then you're finally there. You've arrived. Think about it from a prophetic standpoint. The prophecies about the coming King, about the Messiah, the Savior, they started some 4,000 years prior to Jesus ever coming into uh, there in the Garden of Eden is when they started. Then about 2,000 years later, a promise is given to Abraham and his descendants. Another 1,000 years later, David arrives on scene and the signs are given, the promises are retold. Then comes the ministry of most of the Old Testament prophets. Jonah, Hosea, Isaiah, Micah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Zechariah, Malachi, they all had something to say about the coming king. 
from about the year 800 B.C. to 400 B.C. All of these prophets were talking about the coming Messiah, the coming King. Could you imagine the anticipation, the build-up, okay? the prophecies? They are coming closer and closer together. They're popping up a whole lot more frequently with each passing prophet. It was as if God was building up to this one great moment Okay, this moment, every Old Testament saint longed to see the long-awaited time of the Messiah to come. Then you know what God did? He seemingly went silent for 400 years. You would think that after the ministry of the Old Testament prophets and all the build-up to the prophecies concerning the Messiah, that the perfect time to send them would be after the people returned from exile, right? They've, they've learned their lesson. They've rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. They've rebuilt the temple. Things are, are going well for them. Man, this would be the great time to usher in your kingdom, God maximizing really on that anticipation and on that buildup of that moment. Instead of sending the Messiah at that time, God waited about 400 years before finally breaking his silence. And he did so by giving a message to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, a simple priest that served there in the temple. Zacharias was told that he would have a son and that his son would be the forerunner to the Messiah. Then word came to a poor young virgin named Mary. An angel of the Lord told Mary that she would conceive and give birth to God's Messiah. In Luke chapter 1, we read of how the angel told her, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. In his kingdom there will be no end. An angel also visited Joseph, the man to whom Mary was betrothed. Joseph was given a message in a dream about how that which had been conceived in Mary was of the Holy Spirit and how he would save his people from their sins. You know, as we read of these facts, these announcements to Zacharias and to Mary and to Joseph, I think sometimes we lose sight of the magnitude of these announcements. Okay? The moment that had been spoken of ever since the Garden of Eden for the last 4,000 years was finally about to come to pass. God was on the move. His Messiah was on His way. God is breaking His years of science with a huge announcement. His Messiah's coming was at hand. Now the details of the birth and and what it meant for Joseph and, and Mary, we're going to be Uh, looking at that later on in our continued series, okay? The first seven verses of Luke chapter 2 detail some of the events uh, leading up to the birth of Christ. But I really want to focus in upon what happened after the birth. God's foretold plan had come to fruition. His Messiah had been born. It was time to spread the word. The word that had began back in the garden, the promises that had been told and retold throughout the history of the Jews had finally come to pass. How would God make His Messiah's coming known? What would God do to make sure the whole world knew of this incredible gift He had given in sending His one and only begotten Son? 
Let's take a look at the opening of our text once again. Verse 8, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. We'll stop right there. So how does God announce the biggest news ever to be shared to humankind? To whom does He bring this announcement? What was it to the high priest who oversaw all the ministry there in the temple of Jerusalem? No, not him. In our minds, we think, no, bigger, right? It's got to be bigger than that. I mean, an announcement of this magnitude, it demands more pomp, more the pomp and circumstance, right? Than just a, a simple figurehead that served at the temple, right? How about the king? ruling over all Judea, King Herod. Was that who the Lord chose to reveal this news to? No, not him either. Bigger, we think, right? I mean, bigger, right? How about the emperor himself? The ruler of Rome the political, and the political world as they knew it. Caesar Augustus. Yeah, we think, right? In our own minds, we think, yeah, well, now we're getting somewhere. Now we're talking royalty. We're talking power. We're talking influence, okay? What better way to spread word across the whole world than to start at the very top with the leader of the known world at that time? You and I, okay? That's how we would probably think this through. If we had a big announcement to make, if the long-awaited king had finally arrived, it was our responsibility to spread the word, well, we would want to pull out all the stops. We'd look for the biggest stage, the biggest, most powerful and influential audience, and we'd probably have a, a marketing team helping us put together all the fine details of how to make this the biggest thing to ever hit the newsreels, right? We would flood social media, we would hashtag the Messiah's here, you know, whatever it may be. That's how we would do it. But that's not how God operated. That isn't how God made known the birth of His Son. God didn't send His angel to Caesar to let him know that the world would soon be under new management. He didn't send word to Herod or to the high priest. God chose to make the first public announcement of His Son's birth and the arrival of the Messiah to a group of shepherds. (laughs) The very first people to have it announced to them about this long-awaited King, the Messiah's entrance into the world, were a group of shepherds sleeping out in the fields while watching over their flocks at night. We need to understand the magnitude of what is transpiring here, okay? It baffles my mind to consider that of all the people in the world at that time that God chose to announce the coming of His Son to a group of shepherds. The greatest event in history had just occurred. The Messiah had been born for ages. The Jews had been waiting for this moment. And when it finally happened, the announcement came to a group of humble shepherds. I think that's amazing. And I think it begs the question, what does this tell us? Why would God choose to reveal the greatest news ever told to a group of shepherds? You see, shepherds, they were not considered by most to be a a, a well-respected occupation. Among occupations, shepherding had a lowly place, 
Oftentimes they were seen as outcasts because of their work with livestock, their daily contact with dirty, smelly sheep, okay, and their manure, their blood from cuts and scrapes, their stench that would be upon them after spending numerous nights in the outdoors. They would be considered unclean, unfit for joining the rest of God's people in worship at the temple. And there are even rabbinical accounts of how shepherds were not to be trusted how they were often considered thieves for allowing their sheep to come and graze in other people's fields. Later on, in fact, in the first century, they were even forbidden from giving testimony on the account that most people saw them as liars and untrustworthy. This intrigues me. Because throughout the Old Testament, we hear of a number of references to shepherding and we see them often portrayed in a positive light. We think of of David. He was the the shepherd king, right? He was out tending to his father's sheep uh, when Samuel came to anoint him. Even the Lord himself is likened to a shepherd that that feeds and and cares for and protects his flocks. Whatever happened, you know, through the years, the state of shepherds and their occupation, it became more and more despised by the general public. And so it, it makes God's choosing of them all the more intriguing. Why shepherds? I think at least in part, we have an answer in the message that's declared to them by the angel. Let's look again at verses 9 through 12. It says, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. We'll stop right there. Imagine yourself in the scene. Okay, you're there at night, all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, while these shepherds were watching over their flocks, an angel appeared before them, along with the glory of the Lord that shone all around them. God was giving to the shepherds a revelation like no other. What an amazing sight, I'm sure, one that obviously startled the shepherds and caught them by surprise, something that caused them great fear and terror as they had no idea what was going on. Then the angel spoke to them, saying, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Church family, this message from the angel is very important. We need to understand and grasp, okay? I believe it sheds light onto the reason why God chose these shepherds as the ones to first hear of the birth of his son. And so let's break down this message for the shepherds and see what it tells us about Christmas. Starting off, we'll look at the words, good tidings, Okay, the words good tidings, they're the same words in the Greek that are later used in the New Testament for telling the good news or preaching the gospel. It's the same exact words in the Greek. You see, this is what is happening here. The gospel is being proclaimed by this angel for these shepherds. This message is for the shepherds. Okay, the angel declares that he brings the shepherds Good tidings. I bring you good tidings, right? The angel declares that Jesus was born to them this day. 
We see here that this message, it was shared with the shepherds because the message of the gospel was for the shepherds and people like them. The lowly, the outcast, the unclean, those who didn't have much to offer. The gospel wasn't presented to the high and mighty in the religious temple. Okay, it wasn't given to the rich and powerful, the kings and, and dignitaries. It wasn't given to an exclusive crowd. It was given to the lowly, to the poor, to the despised, to the, the rejected, to the ones who needed it most. But note with me that it wasn't given solely to the shepherds. For the angel does declare that these good tidings will be to all people. For males and females, for the rich and the poor, for the powerful, for the weak, for the smart, for the base, for the Jews and for the Gentiles, for the Americans and for the Japanese. He doesn't say that in the Bible, but we can infer that, okay? The gospel is to all people and it is for all people. From the perspective of the shepherds, the birth of Christ, it shows us that the gospel message is made available to each and every person. We all need to receive the message of the gospel. And, and what exactly is the gospel? Well, look at what the angel said. Okay? This is what the angel said. He says, There is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Three different titles of Jesus are referenced in this proclamation of glad tidings and the good news. The good tidings declare that Jesus is Savior. Jesus Christ has come to save us. Jesus said the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15 that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He identified himself as the chief of sinners. You see, we were lost in our sin and trespasses and Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save us all from sin and the penalty of sin, which is death. And so He's Savior. But the good tidings declare also that Jesus is the Christ. The word Christ, it means anointed one. It's actually the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew title of Messiah, okay, which is, also means anointed one. Jesus is the promised Messiah King from the line of David, the one set apart by God the Father to fulfill all of the prophecies of the coming King and His eternal kingdom. Jesus came to establish an eternal kingdom, one that can be enjoyed by all who place their faith in Him as King of their lives. The glad tidings is an offer to be part of God's eternal kingdom, to dwell together with the Lord in heaven, which leads me to the third title reference. The good tidings declare that Jesus is Lord. This, of course, refers to Jesus' deity. The glad tidings is that God the Son humbled himself and took on the form of man. He left heaven's glory, and He came and dwelt among us. He, Jesus truly is Emmanuel. He is God with us. God in human form. 
Philippians speaks about how Jesus, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man. We're told that he humbled himself and he became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, church family, it is only a matter of time. Eventually, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. But only those who do so on this side of eternity will enjoy the deliverance that he offers as Savior. Only those who respond to the glad tidings now will, while the breath of life is still in them, will see the glorious kingdom of the Messiah, the Christ. Only those who surrender and confess today will enter into the joy of the Lord for all of eternity. And church family, my hope, my prayer is that each and every one of us has bowed the knee and confessed with our hearts, with our mouths, that Jesus is Savior, that He is King, and that He is Lord of our lives. Okay? If you have not done so, okay, you will one day. But if you want to reap the benefits of all that He's come to give, you must do so now. The angel gave a sign to the shepherds as to what to look for. They were to look for a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Now the fact that baby Jesus was wrapped in swaddling cloths was not the main thing that would stick out to these shepherds as they would search for the newborn king. Most all babies would be wrapped in swaddling cloths, okay? No, the major thing that would set this baby apart from other babies that they may witness in swaddling cloths was that this baby would be placed in a manger. Listen, the manger is a focal point of the Christmas narrative. But I think sometimes we don't understand what a manger really is. In our nativity sets, they usually look like a nice little wooden crib and it's got nice, you know, clean hay in there and it's all, you know, pretty. Okay? That's not what it looked like. Okay? <laughs> the angel just talked about glad tidings, great joy, and the Savior, the appearing of the Christ, the Messiah, the one they had been waiting for, and he's going to be found in a manger. Okay, so a manger is a feeding trough. Okay? Have you ever worked a farm or maybe even just gone to a, 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 a petting zoo, you know, and seen what a feed trough looks like? They're dirty and they're nasty. And the, the, the you know, animals regurgitate in there and saliva all over it. Okay, it, it would not be this clean, pristine little crib. Okay, in fact, mangers weren't even made out of wood. If you're got a nativity set, that most of them are made out of wood. Okay, it would be made out of stone. Okay, and so the manger... This baby, the babe of Christ, the Messiah, okay, he would be laid in a dirty, cold rock that, that would normally be filled with feed and, and animal saliva and grossness. You see, the manger shows the humility of Christ's coming. It speaks of the great sacrifice he was willing to give to come for us. His dwelling place had been in heaven, 
at the right hand of the Father. The beauty of heaven was left, okay, for the cold, dark surroundings of a dirty manger. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 describes part of this sacrifice. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, that you, through His poverty, might become rich. It was all done for you. It was all done for me, for us. Okay, the Christ, the Son of God, gave up His riches. He gave up His place in heaven, becoming poor for us, that through His sacrifice, we might be made rich. That we might have the hope of dwelling in heaven with the Father as He once did. We have to understand the humility of His coming. Verse 13, it says, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. We'll stop right there real quick. After the angel had declared his glad tidings, a heavenly host of angels appeared praising God. A recital of all the angelic hosts was put forth there for those shepherds. And they sang, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The angels, they praised God for what just took place. They know the significance of what has taken place. The work of salvation is at hand. The whole purpose of the plan of salvation is glory to God. Okay? The recital for the shepherds, it reminds us once again that Christmas is to be a time where we give glory and honor to the Lord. I made this point last week, but it's worth repeating because it's so important. This Christmas, I hope you will take the time to glorify the Lord in all of your various celebrations and all of your activities. We must give glory to where glory is due. And none deserve more glory than God for His plan of salvation, for the giving of His Son for us. Well, not only did they give glory to the Lord, but they also spoke about peace on earth. You see, the Pax Romana wasn't what people needed The absence of war was not the kind of peace that man needed. Even the pagans of the first century world knew the peace offered by Rome was insufficient. The Stoic philosopher Epictetus said, While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns more than even for outward peace. You see, man needed way more than simply outward peace, okay? They needed peace with God. And that is what Jesus Christ offers freely to us, to give us peace with God. Isaiah speaks of the sacrifice of Christ and how it was through the cross that our peace was obtained by Christ. Isaiah declares, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. Romans 5.1 declares, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, peace with God is the grand necessity of a fallen world. And with the arrival of the Savior on Christmas Day, that peace is made available to us. Let's continue on taking a look at the remainder of our text, verses 15 through 20. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger, 
Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen as it was told them. I love the response of the shepherds. And I believe it is something that all believers should take notice of and look to emulate. You see, the shepherds, they teach us some important lessons based upon their response. And I want to highlight them here for us this morning. I want you to observe with me here that after hearing the heavenly messengers, they acted upon the knowledge that was shared with them. They received the word and then acted upon it. Okay? That is an example that we need to follow. Okay, when the Lord gives us a message, we need to be faithful to act upon it. When you come to church and you feel like the Lord is speaking to you, we need to act upon it. Okay, don't just leave and forget everything that the Lord was saying to you. Okay? Perhaps during your quiet time with the Lord, the Lord gives you a particular word that you know is for a situation you're dealing with. Put God's word into action. Okay, don't just write it down in a journal. Act upon it. Okay? Allow the word of God to lead and to guide you, to direct your steps. These shepherds, they heard the message from the Lord and they went and they acted upon it, searching for the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Notice also that these shepherds, they came with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe. They made haste. They came as quickly as possible. You know what that means? It means they didn't have time to go home and get changed or get cleaned up. They simply came as they were. They were most likely dirty and stinky and, you know, from working in the fields. They've been sleeping outside with sheep <laughs> during the night, but they didn't let that keep them from coming. God invites us to come to him as we are. Okay, we don't need to clean ourselves up first before we can come to him. You know, I've heard people talk about how they need to get their act together before they can come to Christ, before they can start coming to church, that, you know, they're involved with things that, you know, aren't good, and so they need to kind of get their act together before they can come to church. Listen, God already knows, okay? He knows what you're going through. <laughs> it's not a surprise to Him. Let me tell you this, waiting to get your act together will lead you to never come into Christ because you can't get your act together without Him. The shepherds remind us that we can come to God just as we are. Okay? And he invites us. He welcomes us. Another thing worth noting here is that when the shepherds arrived and saw the newborn babe, it tells us that they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. The shepherds went all over and they told as many as would seemingly listen to them about the good news that the angels declared to them and they saw for themselves. And I think the application for us is quite simple, church family. Okay, for those of us who have heard the message of the good news, have responded to it, and have seen for ourselves the truth of the message of the gospel, we need to go out and tell others about it. <laughs> we want to be those that not only know Christ, but those that make him known. Christmas is a great opportunity to do just that. Okay? Christmas is about Jesus Christ coming to this world as a babe and as a Savior. Okay? Tell people about it. Share the good news of the gospel. Take advantage of the opportunities the Lord gives us. Lastly, I see here from the shepherds, a genuine heart of worship. 
Verse 20 tells us they returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen. Church family, this Christmas, I want to encourage you all to take time to worship the Lord. Don't allow all the busyness uh, 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 that can come with this season. Gobble up your time where you don't make any time to just sit at the feet of the Lord. You know, we have a special night of worship planned on the 22nd. Okay? And I really hope that we can all come out, okay, as many as possible, and that we can come and we can just sit before the Lord as we prepare to celebrate His coming and worship Him, glorifying Him, praising Him for all that He's done in and through our lives. Okay? That we would sing and magnify His name and that we would not be shy about it. I want to encourage you to take time to reflect upon all that you have heard and seen God do in your life and take time to glorify the Lord. Take time to praise Him. Worship the Lord as these shepherds did. Christmas, through the eyes of the shepherds. What do we learn? Well, we saw in the revelation to the shepherds that the gospel is to all people and for all people, that Jesus is Savior, Christ, and Lord, and that Jesus' coming was a beautiful picture of his humility. We saw in the recital for the shepherds that we are to give glory and honor to the Lord for sending Jesus and that peace with God is offered through faith in Jesus. And lastly, we saw in the response of the shepherds a number of lessons that we are to act upon the word of God, that we can come to Jesus as we are, that we are to go and tell others of all Jesus has done, that we ought to worship Jesus for all he has done. And my hope is that as we consider Christmas through the eyes of the shepherds, that we would take these truths and apply them to our lives, not just during Christmas, but all the year round. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the example of these shepherds. This opportunity to look at the events that unfolded through their eyes and through their perspective. Lord, we thank you that your gospel message is to all people. And it is for all people. Lord, you came and you made the greatest announcement ever to a group of lowly shepherds just to prove and to show that this message was for all of us. And so, Lord, I pray that we would receive this message, Lord, that we would act upon it, we would be like the shepherds, Lord, that we would worship you, that we would tell others about you, Lord, that we would uh, come to you as we are, Lord, we would do so in haste, Lord, just coming. Knowing that you will receive us as we are. And Lord, I just pray that if there's anybody here, Lord, that has yet to bow the knee, to confess with their tongue Christ as Savior, as Lord and King, Lord, I pray that they would do so this morning that today would be the day of salvation for them. Lord, I pray that you would lead and guide them. Lord, we thank you that the message of the long-awaited King, the Messiah, 
is a message that we can receive simply by faith. Thank you that you've made it so simple. Lord, you did all the work that was required. We thank you for all that you've done. And we pray, Lord, that we would honor you in this Christmas season. That we would glorify you in all we say and do. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.